Welcome to Crawl Space. Here we are tonight, Lance, with a live show recording. How fun was this? I'm still coming down from the adrenaline of that. Aren't you? Don't you just sit around and think about, you know, what it was like before going out, uh, meeting with Jordan, introducing uh, Lucian, introducing Elias, the audience, the, the reaction. It was that, that rush of adrenaline right before going out. It was, it was amazing. The whole night was really incredible. Getting there in the afternoon, doing the, the tech run, meeting Jordan, his wife, and his kid. It was a lot of fun. And we went through the show and, and got to a place where we felt pretty good about it before we left and sort of got freshened up and came back and had dinner. And we went on. It was so fun. Lance, it, it, we have to do this more. It was, yeah, it was incredible. Just want to, quick thanks to the theater, the Rockwell. What an amazing location. You and I had performed there a couple of times many, many years ago. And it was, it was literally, it was what it was. It was a basement theater. And they have totally renovated it. That new ownership came in, totally renovated it. It seems like this, it's like this speakeasy type uh, location. There's a bar in the lobby that never used to be there. The lighting's amazing. The theater itself is a three-sided theater. It's amazing. It's perfect for the live podcasting. Yeah, it really is perfect for that. And it's a lot of fun to engage with an audience uh, in a space like that. It's three rows, three sections of three rows. So it's really, you know, like 80, 80 people and it feels like it's full. But you can, you know, you can see everyone's face. You can really get to interact with everyone. So I think we're going to do a lot more shows there. Yeah, yeah. So shout out to uh, Rockwell, Laura over there, the the uh, managing director, Dan, who was our, our our AV guy, who wasn't quite sure what was about to happen. I think he was more trained for specific cues, and we were more trained for, hey, just kind of go with the flow. About halfway through the show, we got into a rhythm, uh, and and it worked out really nice. Um, and we also had some, some other podcasters show up, which was super awesome. And if this happens in any of their cities, we're there. Twisted Philly, Pleasing Terrors. It was super cool to see those people. Yeah, Dina and Mike made it out there from Philly and from South Carolina. So that was really cool to see them. And, oh, your coworker who helped with tickets, Stacy. So we just want to give her a thank you, too. Oh, yeah, Stacy and her roommate, they uh, took the tickets. My other coworker, uh, Davis. Davis Lehman, who is a ridiculous CAD artist, and he's never done any advertisement before. And I asked him to do this, and he did this kind of 3D type ad for it uh really dug deep into it and enjoyed it uh so he was there with his girlfriend and and got hooked his girlfriend's a big uh manson fan big charlie manson fan so i'm thinking next show there is going to be around halloween we gotta book it let's do it oh i can't wait i'm gonna break this uh this this hot scoop you haven't heard this yet um I was just emailing with the uh, director of the Rockwell, and she said Monday the 30th of October is open. And she specifically said, I think it'd be really cool to do a Monday show, a Monday Halloween show. Yeah, let's let's talk about it. I don't know. We, would you go, I guess is the question, out, out there to the audience? What time would this show be? Monday is a lot easier to uh, have a flexible time frame. So it could probably be anywhere from 7.30 to 9.30, 10. Very interesting. Okay, yeah. So email us or tweet us. Let us know if you would go. I know. I know we had a pretty good crowd for the show uh, on August eighteenth with Lucian and Elias. I'm just curious, wondering 
how we can do on a Monday. So let us know. We'll put it out there and we'll see if there's a good response. Then we'll start moving forward. We got some guests in mind for that, you know, that time frame. But I think uh, I think regardless, whether it's a Monday show or a Friday show or 8 o'clock or 10 o'clock, right around Halloween, it's going to be a good time. And for this episode, this version of our live show, this is the first one we ever did, we have Jordan, of course, from the Nighttime Podcast, who came down from Nova Scotia, from Halifax, to join us on this live show. He arranged his family vacation to make this live show with us uh, to talk to Lucian. How do you feel about that? I mean, it's crazy. We we get to meet Jordan, who we've known for a while, and and we love the guy. He's great. And then we get to meet him, his family, and then we get to meet Lucian and Elias all in person. All that day too. So there wasn't like a there wasn't any time where we you know got together a couple of days beforehand. You know, we've been texting and emailing, but it was uh, all that adrenaline and all that you know good to see you type thing all happened live on stage. Lucian comes out and. and <laughs> You know, you get to hug the the co-founder of the Satanic Temple, and that was that was something that I can, I guess, check off the bucket list that I didn't know I had on my bucket list. But and then Elias comes out, and and the the audience was it was a really uh, it was a really smooth transition to what she had talked about um, with the missing men of, and vanishing men of Boston. The audience seemed really really captivated by that uh, as much as they were with the uh, Satanic Temple and their principles. Yeah, absolutely. And so we're not going to play much of Elias here. She was on episode one of our coverage of the Vanishing Men of Boston, and we're going to do its own separate episode in the next few weeks where it's the topic from this night, from the live show. We talk about the Vanishing Men, and we'll read some emails and uh, comments from our coverage so far from those cases as well. But that'll be coming up. So this one is specifically focused on Lucian Greaves and the Satanic Temple of Salem. Were you nervous around him? Were you nervous to talk to him? A little bit, yeah, at first, sure. Was it intimidation or was it you were nervous because of the subject matter and the content? I guess I was raised Catholic and I'm really kind of not now, but I think like he mentions in in the live show that some people are just kind of instinctually afraid of the word Satan and people who stand for satanic beliefs and things like that. So I feel like I couldn't really help it. Nothing about him made me feel nervous. Like, he was a very warm guy. If anything, he's intimidating because he's so smart. That's exactly what I was going to say. You think that you are going to be nervous, or one thinks that they're going to be nervous, interviewing somebody like him in front of a live audience because of what he stands for and and, and the subject matter. But the more you hear him speak the intimidation and the anxiety actually increased for me because I have never experienced anyone who was so eloquent in answering questions on the spot. We didn't give him prepared questions and, and he nails them when he answers them. And it was like, I, I felt like, you know, like a comparison of a boxer, like, like Apollo Creed and Rocky and, and Apollo's looking at Rocky like he won't go down and he's just shaking his head like Lucian just you can't ask him anything that's going to knock him down and even even the audience questions he's still he doesn't even pause he just knows how to go right into it and they're not canned answers because there's no way they could be he had no idea what we we're going to ask him so I, I think I wasn't I wasn't at all intimidated in the beginning but I think maybe like five minutes into the conversation, I realized what we were dealing with. And he, he's, he's, 
his passion for what he does is you you know you're not going to you you're not going to outsmart him in that conversation and i think lucian wrapped it up nicely and bluntly when he said i understand that reading the seven tenets of satanism is a mindfuck because it's inherently human and you read those and if you use if you lose the word satan You'd read those and say, well, that's how I want to act as a human. And that, that was one of our big things when we were going into it because I, I thought that it was a – and it sort of is. It's a political movement, the Satanic Temple, uh, to for free speech, free, freedom, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, assembly, all of that. And I thought my mistake was that they just use the Satanic ideal to, 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 to showcase that. Because you can't use you can't have strong opinions and and not have a not have a powerful vehicle to to move your opinions, but the the whole concept of being a Satanist is rebelling. Yeah, and it's a very uh, this time in the country is very unique. And he said that since Trump's been elected, that the the crowd, the amount of people, have grown. So it's, you know, people are wanting to rebel right now against mm-hmm. what's going on right. in the world and the country. Right. And it's good to rebel if you have the if you have the education and you have and you're articulate about it and you, your purpose is is sound and just. And I'm not saying I'm converting to Satanism or anything, but I mean, he presents a pretty good argument. Well, what we do here, Lance, is actually kind of satanic because what we do is question authority. And that's all we're talking about, really, when you boil it down. What we do, we wouldn't be doing a podcast uh, about Maura Murray or about Brianna Maitland if cops found the perp or found the person, you know, whatever, whatever the case may be. We're questioning authority by the very nature of having this podcast. Exactly. If it's if it's the true crime genre, the the citizen detectives out there, the the whole concept of this is questioning and challenging the status quo and authority. So pretty cool. So so you know, keep an open mind when you listen. Um, we're not expecting any religious uh, converts. Honestly, we don't care if if you want to or, or not want to. Not really our business or uh, why why we wanted to have this conversation and put this podcast out. So. Uh, just have an open mind. Listen to him. You're going to come across impressed. I would. I would imagine. Right. I, I just want to say one more thing. We we did title the show "Curious Conversations," and we're not going to present to you something that won't arouse your curiosity. We're we're not going to bring somebody into into the mix where they're going to talk about something that everyone agrees with. You you should be challenged. And you should have your curiosity challenged and you should be open to that challenge because if you don't, then you just get stuck in the, in, in the ebb and flow of life and that's it. And you, and, you, and you don't experience other things. You don't meet new people and you don't open your mind to new concepts. It's never too late to open your mind to new concepts. I mean, who would have thought 10 years ago that you and I would – even consider saying the words out loud that we somehow became investigative journalists. Two years ago, I wouldn't even understand you saying that. But you, you, you really need to have you really need to have open concepts and open consideration for all sorts of curiosity out there. 
So with that, let's throw it to this audio. Um, really fun conversation with Jordan and Lucian, and Jordan introduces Lucian. And so then we, we kind of cut it short before we get into Elias and the Vanishing Men of Boston, which we will release as its own separate episode shortly. about the fact that our first guest was met with a mixed reaction when we, when we announced uh, him joining us. But based on the, the comments we received by email and Twitter messages and whatnot, it was obvious that the negative reaction was from people who had no idea who he is, what he's accomplished, or most importantly, what he stands for. And it was disappointing as regardless of what you believe in, where you're from, or who you choose to love, he's likely done more to protect your children and your personal freedom than you likely realize. And he's done it through political change, despite the fact that he's not a politician. He's just some guy from Detroit who is creative, ballsy, super intelligent, and the best part of all, at least to me, is he done it all in the name of Satan. So I'd like to introduce... Lucien Greaves, co-founder of the Satanic Temple. I'm a little jealous that Jordan got a hug from the co-founder of the Satanic Temple. It's, uh... <laughs> yeah, and as I said, we got a mixed reaction. I, <laughs> Thank you. We had um, of all, of all the mess of everything we've I've ever done as uh, publicly. I think the the most negativity I've received was uh, when we first announced him. Uh, although there was a lot of supporters, there was also a lot of why would you subject your listeners to a satanic cult? Uh, are you trying to recruit people for for Satanism? We had people cancel their tickets. Although it is all true, I, I think. Uh, <laughs> I think there's much more to, to Lucian than, than they realize. So just to basically to open it, open it up completely, the first thing I'd like to ask Lucian is if you could just explain the difference between what you do and what the Satanic Temple does versus what the Satanic cult that keeps Tim awake at night does. So if you could just explain you know, the difference of what you're doing versus what people are afraid of. Because I'm terrified right now sitting next to you. <laughs> Right. Well, well, the mythology is that satanic cults uh, engage in ritualistic abuse and that they have mobile crematoriums that they dispose of the bodies in and in uh, all these other things you heard on daytime talk shows in the 80s and during the 90s. Um, that is a very big topic and all the reasons that people believe those kinds of things can't be touched on here. Uh, but some of that still goes on today in what... Experts really found law enforcement looked into these kinds of claims. Uh, they never turned out to be true. Uh, this was this was a, a large scale moral panic, and it's a way for people to avoid their real problems. And we see that today with like Charlottesville. We see uh, different pastors claiming that, and uh, they've said this explicitly. There was a, a week ago about there was a piece in the Washington Post, which I'm posting a rebuttal on in the Washington Post in the next week written by a Baptist minister saying that uh, white supremacy is Satanism. 
In fact, it has very explicit Protestant roots. The KKK is explicitly a Protestant religious sect. Um, and Satanism often has just been a pejorative term as a way to other people and, and in that way justify uh, doing horrible things against them, uh, outcasts in the community, minority groups, whoever else. And part of what we do is we stand up for the unjustly accused and the minorities and the outcasts, and we fight for true religious liberty and pluralism. And you see a lot of that in the things the Satanic Temple does when we ask for equal, equal religious representation where uh, religions are allowed in the public forum. And we've seen many public forums shut down rather than allow the Satanic Temple to speak at all. We recently saw that in Minnesota where we offered a veterans memorial in an open forum for veterans memorials where a Christian one existed. Uh, we offered one ourselves, uh, a very kind of sober and respectful uh, monument, and yet it was altogether too much for the community. So it's really kind of a strain on free speech, but not one that's simply meant to harass the community, but make them think about what these issues really mean and what American principles really are, democracy and pluralism. And I think uh, it's, it's a lesson that, that is well needed today. Okay, l- let me just get this out of the way real quick here, Lance. So you have never sacrificed goats, babies, nothing like that. I, I didn't say any of that. <laughs> but what I do on my private time is my own business, and uh, this certainly has nothing to do with the doctrine of the Satanic Temple. Now, you mentioned the memorial, um, the Veterans Memorial. The Veterans Memorial is now on display at our headquarters in Salem. We do have a headquarters in Salem, and it's there now because they, they couldn't tolerate it being on the, on the actual property in, in Belle Plaine. But it's a, it's a cube. It has inverted pentagrams on it and a soldier's helmet on the top. There were size restrictions on monuments, so it needed to be fairly small. It's a, it's a very sturdy steel construction because we had to figure that there was a high potential for vandalism. Um, but we were approved. Uh, the Bell Plain originally approved, and they said they, they fully understood the ramifications of opening up the property. What people don't I, mean, I need to step back further. There was originally uh, a Christian group put a Christian cross uh, as a veterans memorial in the park in Belle Plaine, Veterans Park. They didn't ask for approval. They didn't ask for approval from the city. They just fucking plopped it there and, and decided that, that they were marking their territory, as so many evangelicals do, declaring this a Christian nation. And then uh, the Freedom From Religion Foundation reached out um, at the behest of a local who was complaining, a, a local in Belle Plaine, uh, was offended by this, said it was a violation of church and state to allow this to stay on the public property. So the city took it down. Um, after they took it down, the Christians complained loudly, and uh, a lawyer from Alliance Defending Freedom came, uh, an evangelical litigation group came, and said that they had a rock-solid proposal to open up the Veterans Memorial Park as a free speech zone. And the idea being that anybody could could put a private donation into the public park, something that would memorialize veterans, and in that way, it wasn't government speech. It was private speech, and it was, it was open to First Amendment protection. They did that, and we called their bluff. Uh, they, they felt that they would be the only ones there, that nobody would have the audacity to put something, a, a religious monument that wasn't Christian there, and... We put in our proposal, and the proposal met all the standards. 
uh, the Catholic Archdiocese over in Minnesota decided that this is classic. They decided that if the uh, if the satanic memorial was to be there, this could lead to the molestation of local children. And we didn't know at first. We didn't know at first if this was a threat. Like if they were saying that if you put this monument up, if you allow this to happen, we will molest your children. But but they had this idea that uh, it, it's a it's a very obvious case of projection. You know they they they're uh, they're denying their their own sinister proclivities to to claim that this is what Satanists do. So this irks you, obviously. Um, Forwarding, you know, putting up a a monument um, in the name of Christianity obviously rubs you the wrong way. Well, it's fine so long as the free speech zone is actually respected. If it's government endorsement of a particular religious view, then it's problematic. If you have a Ten Commandments monument on state capitol grounds. And this is what happened in Oklahoma when we offered our Baphomet monument. And I don't know if everybody's familiar with that, but we actually... I, I think they're pretty familiar now. <laughs> All right, yeah, yeah. Now, now this, is, this is full scale. It's, what, eight and a half feet tall, uh, one and a half tons. And this is also now residing in, in Salem at our headquarters. Uh, you can go visit it. Are we able to get our picture in front of it if we show up? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, nice. we'll do that tomorrow. Good. This would be a good time. <laughs> but um, but the, the point being was that we, we didn't want Baphomet uh, alongside the Ten Commandments. We didn't want Baphomet on public grounds alone. Uh, it, was, it was there to act as a counterbalance against the Ten Commandments. It was there to demonstrate that plurality is still respected, that we live in a pluralistic nation that respects religious freedom. And in this way, we... We call the bluff of the evangelical theocrats who go around claiming that uh, that th- there's a secular message behind the Ten Commandments or that it's not government speech because they're willing to respect other points of view that come in. Uh, once we actually test that, we find that that's simply not the case. Because once you had this built and were ready to install it, my understanding is they, they took down the Ten Commandments monument? They took down the Ten Commandments monument. But in Oklahoma, the case was uh, the case went to the Supreme Court. Um, I believe it was the ACLU litigating, and there was a. Uh, it was based upon the state constitution of Oklahoma, which stated that uh, nobody within the state of Oklahoma could be made directly or indirectly to uh, participate in, fund, or, or otherwise engage in uh, somebody else's religious practice by by government fiat. Um, and, and the Ten Commandments monument was ruled to be in violation of that. Uh, when I did, say, the Megyn Kelly interview on Fox, she attributed the taking down of the Ten Commandments monument to our efforts to put up Baphomet. And though we can't, we can't know how much of that was a consideration for the state Supreme Court, they had to have it in mind. They had to have it in mind that whatever they were going to rule on the Ten Commandments monument was going to have ramifications for our request to put up Baphomet in Oklahoma. And I think it may have influenced their decision to say that certainly, yeah, we can't have religious monuments as, as government speech at all. One story I'd love to he- love you to tell is so as you're fighting with the the governments and these you know these religious groups and whatnot. And I don't know if fighting is the right word. Defending, you know, is probably more appropriate. But uh, I understand you did get yourself in trouble at some point. And uh, I was reading about the the pink mass. Could you just tell the story of of what you did and what it was in reaction to and what ended up coming of, of that? 
Yeah, I, I don't think you're going to see a more contentious event in Boston until tomorrow. But, um, <laughs> but at the time, this was the Boston Marathon bombing. And uh, this was before they knew who had, who had done it. Um, and Westboro Baptist Church was going to come and protest the, uh, the funerals of the victims of the Boston Marathon bombing. And a lot of people showed up to counter-protest, and, and I was there among them, and we were waiting to see the Westboro Baptist Church show up. And everybody was infuriated. Nobody was in a good mood after the Boston Marathon bombing. It was martial law, and, uh, and, and people were, were very agitated about the Westboro Baptist Church. And it was probably best that they didn't show up. But like smartasses, they took to Twitter, and they were saying, you know, you all showed up for us, and we were there in spirit, and they... They, you know, did some little Photoshop of their protesters hovering above the heads of the counter-protesters who were there in Boston. They're holding signs that said, uh, God brought the bombs and, and things that other, other things that suggested that the victims of the marathon bombing deserved it. And, and the, the important part was that they said that they were there in spirit. So this kind of got our gears turning to thinking about how we could also meet the Westboro Baptist Church on somewhat more spiritual terms, to be with them in spirit. So naturally, Fred Phelps, who since has died, was alive at the time, we looked up where his mother was buried. This is only, I, I'm sure this, this practically writes itself. You can, <laughs> I'm sure you know the, the idea now. So anyways, we, we, we went to her grave site and decided to have a homoerotic satanic ceremony at her grave site, which culminated in me respectfully resting my testicles on her headstone. <laughs> and we had a lot of pictures of this taken that we disseminated afterwards, and they got, they got very angry and they got very upset. And we, we declared that we had uh, turned his mother into a lesbian in the afterlife. <laughs> and Let's oh, just pull up that visual of the testicles. Yeah. I'm just kidding. We don't have it. <laughs> there are visuals online. <laughs> but um, we, we wanted to also be clear that we still don't we don't uh, advocate for views of supernaturalism. We don't believe in the supernatural. We're a non-theistic religion. But we were taking the position that we believed that they were obligated to believe due to their beliefs that we had turned her into a lesbian in the afterlife. <laughs> that was something of a commentary on the argument they had taken all the way to the Supreme Court that belief is inviolable. And, and, you know, they're, they're not subject to correction on any empirical evidence whatsoever because that's simply their belief. So we were free to believe that they believed that she was a lesbian in the afterlife, despite whatever they might say. And they, they really did give us the credit of doing their famous, uh, you know, they do those, I don't know if you've seen them, they, they do their flyers and they did a whole kind of flyer with all their symbols around it with some kind of senseless asinine ranting about how uh, Satanists, queers, and whoever, you know, we're just, we're all one and the same and we're all damned to hell. But it was a good time. <laughs> so the, the testicles, that, that, what, what part of the, in the, in the pink mass does that, uh, like, what, what does that mean as far as the pink mass? That means fuck ceremony? you, Fred Phelps, and fuck <laughs> you, Westboro Baptist Church. I mean, if we're going to be honest about it, that's, that's really what the message was there. 
that really wasn't part of the scripted uh, event at all. Like I kind of went rogue. That moment of inspiration. Got caught up in the moment, and, and that was actually there was kind of debate about that within my own people of whether that was a wise thing to do or not. But I certainly don't regret it. But you were asking about trouble, right? Uh, afterwards, the the police in Meridian, Mississippi, were trying to get a judge to sign off on uh, various offenses that they thought uh, I could be charged with. And in, in, uh, eventually, they settled upon desecration of a grave, and uh, the 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 sheriff over there. I, I don't think he counted on kind of pushback in defense of Satanists uh, who were protesting Westboro Baptist Church, but that's what he got, and he was becoming an item of ridicule in in outlets like Huffington Post and, and Vice and things like that. Where he was originally saying that I was going to serve prison time or whatever, he was saying, "All right, this is a." a a $500 fee at most. So I was back here in Massachusetts and I was talking to my lawyer and I said, well, let's go fight the charge. I'll wear horns and a Bless cape it. and we'll, we'll bring cameras and we'll, we'll, we'll actually go to court over this. And I had said such insulting things about the sheriff, though, that I thought we should know for sure that I couldn't be detained. And when my lawyer looked it up, he said, no, you could do a year. And so we said, okay, fuck it, we're not, we're not going back to Mississippi. And now I can't go back to Mississippi. Think all the, think all the oh, fun I've missed. Yeah. Shucks. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Megan Kelly and the Fox News interview that you did and we actually have two clips if everybody wants to see them I don't know if anyone has seen these yet it's um, Tucker Carlson uh, interviewing Lucian and Megan Kelly interviewing Lucian about four minutes or so um, but I, I, I want to point out not so much Lucian's reaction but at, at Tucker Carlson's face during this whole thing is probably one of the funniest things I've ever seen <laughs> So if, if we can roll with that. City of Minnesota once featured a small Christian monument that was dangerous and offensive, of course. So there were lawsuit threats and the city declared the monument's location a free speech zone. But that in turn drew the attention of a Satanist group which wanted to erect a satanic shrine in the park. Now the city He's is reversing itself and has decided that. to remove all religious symbols from the park instead. Lucian Greaves is the co-founder of the Satanic Temple, and he joins us tonight. Uh, Lucian, thanks for, for joining us. Um, I don't know much about Satanism. What, is, what are the five pillars of Satanism? What is it? We have seven tenets, actually. And actually, they're irrelevant to our claim to be allowed in the free speech zone. Well, they're relevant, <laughs> to, your claim to, be a, wait, slow down. They're relevant to your claim to be a religion. And so I just just give us a sense of what Actually, it is. Actually, us is being it, a religion has no bearing on us having I'm, I'm claim aware of free that, speech but zone you, But you do claim to be a religion. I just want to know what it is. Is it, a, is it the worship of Satan? No, we're actually non-theistic, and modern Satanism has been recognized as non-theistic for some time now. There are actually scholars of modern Satanism. There's books about new religion oh, that cover Satanism. But 
as I said, it really has no bearing on our claim, claim to access to the free speech. I mean, I guess the point of calling this Satanism is to horrify, like, normal people in the middle of the country. That is exactly the That's point. That's not true. No, okay. no, that is not exactly So what is the point? point? Just and, and I will argue that point. I'll give you 30 seconds. What's the point of Satanism? <laughs> Well, to sum up a, a religious movement in its history in 30 seconds isn't quite fair, hit, no, but, no. I would say that, <laughs> but I would say that uh, Satanist, Satanism embodies enlightenment values. It is uh, emblematic of the ultimate rebellion against tyranny. Uh, to that end, we look at the, the history of the, the crushing of the church and the rise of enlightenment values and the rise of pluralism and diversity and multi multiculturalism as inherently satanic. A group of Satanists is tonight claiming victory after a court told the state of Oklahoma to remove a monument to the Ten Commandments from the state capitol. Before the ruling, the Satanists wanted to install their own tribute, a pagan idol showing a bearded goat on the capitol grounds, right next to the Ten Commandments. We will begin with Lucian. All right, Lucian. So is it like Lucian as in Lucifer? Is that where, is that why you're called that? Sure, as you like. As much as, as you like. I don't like. Is that your birth name? No, it's not. Okay. So, what is it that first drew you to the Satanic Temple? Well, I, I helped co-found the Satanic Temple. Why? Uh, why? Because it, it is an embodiment of my deeply held beliefs, and I think there's a distinct need for a counterbalance against. Uh, the dominant religious privilege in America today. So now you're you're happy because you got the Ten Commandments taken down. But do you are you still pushing to have the goat with the horns and so on put up on the state capitol grounds? No, we, we don't want our monument there without the Ten Commandments there. Um, the point uh, all along was that it would complement and contrast the Ten Commandments and reaffirm that we live in a pluralistic nation that respects uh, diversity and religious liberty. You have no problem with the Ten Commandments standing there uh, next to your devil figure, right? That's correct. So long as uh, multiple points of view are allowed, um, there's nothing wrong with a religious monument being up. But uh, that really wasn't the argument that Oklahoma was making. They were saying that it wasn't a religious monument and that it, uh, the Ten Commandments monument served a secular purpose. Which is outright false. Well, they the U.S. Supreme Court, the U.S. Supreme Court found that. I mean, the U.S. Supreme Court has already ruled that the Ten Commandments, that the displays, not only have a religious significance but also a historical one. Well, you're talking a different type of issue because in Oklahoma they were ruling by the state constitution, not the federal constitution. I know, so it's but an entirely it's, different issue. If you're talking Texas, it's a moot point. It's not that different, but you're right. No, Texas it's entirely different. In, in we're talking different constitution. I've looked at we're them both. State constitution versus federal constitution. I, I know. So I looked at them both. And then I, I practiced law for like a decade too, so I I, I did read them and see. A lot of similar words. Lucian, thank you. Good luck to you. And, 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 I, taught you, and I taught you that there was a separation between the, uh, that there was a difference between the federal constitution and the state constitution. Thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> I think when you, when you watch that, it's all, like the, the face on Tucker Carlson is not the face of an open mind. <laughs> it was the face of constipation, is what I said. <laughs> But I, I like when uh, a lot of the things you do, it's, it's a bit tongue-in-cheek, but it's also really creative and, and smart. I, I love when it backfires in their face. Uh, there was one thing I had read about the pentagram ceremony. Oh, in Los Angeles? Yeah, and I understand that they took 
a step to counter-protest you that backfired? That I don't know. I wasn't even there. Okay. I mean, they they had sure there was a lot of counter protests there, and a lot of a lot of ignorance, and there, with that comes a lot of death threats. I, I don't know that that backfires as badly as it should. I think, uh, you know, I, I think we we get a real deplorable response sometimes from people who don't suffer the proper social repercussions. But I think that'll change as time goes on, and people realize. Uh, what an uphill battle we have and how unjust some of the responses. So death threats, a lot of death threats, either they're frequent? I don't uh, I don't look at the emails. I don't get the calls. You can talk to, to Ash over there about calls that come into our headquarters. Um, yeah. Yeah, but, but I hear it from uh, people who head up our chapters all the time about different emails they've gotten or different credible threats that they feel that they've received and you know I mean it, it comes with the territory but it's it's also it's also not very nice okay so you're from the Midwest and and now you're you're co I don't like to say that I'm, <laughs> I'm really from here now <laughs> okay uh, so how long you've been have you been in this area about 10 years I think Okay, and you're you work in so I'm fully assimilated <laughs> perfect <laughs> so you work in Salem now what brought you to Salem? It was a lot cheaper than uh, than Cambridge or or anywhere in Boston. And Salem has certainly its its history regarding the witch hunts. That makes it a real apt location to have a headquarters anyway. And uh, while we were trying to do an event in Boston, uh, a black mass event, which we were very clear wasn't really a black mass, but a reenactment of a black mass. What's the difference? I'm not sure. Um, being that we don't subscribe to supernaturalism anyways, what's the difference between playing uh, a film like Haxon or actually having live actors? I don't know, but we were using it more as like an academic exploration for the idea of a black mass. We were very clear about this when we were putting out the idea. Uh, There was massive protests from Catholics anyways, so we felt that when we opened our headquarters in Salem, at least I felt that we needed to be prepared for the worst, people with torches and pitchforks and all that, but it really didn't happen at all. I guess, you know, despite how close Salem is to Boston, the highest religious population there is Unitarian, and, and they don't give a shit about that kind of thing. <laughs> and and nobody's really given us a hassle locally yet at all. So that's one time, one time, the one time where uh, where my expectations were were not met. Now you you do a lot of work in in schools and for children, and we have the uh, after school Satan program. Um, if you go on the website for the Satanic Temple, it's really surprising how much how much how much you do in schools and and for children. And uh, there's the there's the billboard as well for corporal punishment that says, and I think we might have that image as well. Is this an actual billboard um, for corporal punishment? Um, per, uh, yeah, we ch- have a we have a billboard up in Texas that uh, that promotes our Protect Children project, and what that is is it it, it offers an exemption uh, for children in schools that have corporal punishment against the kids. And one of our tenets is that the body is inviolable, subject to one's own will alone. There's 19 states that still allow administrators to beat children in the schools. And in the community where we put the billboard, uh, there was a case uh, within the past five years where a vice principal uh, beat some teenage girls black and blue on their asses. 
and he wasn't fired at all. Um, and in fact, they had a policy where it was it was supposed to be a same-sex beating administered, and a, and a male administrator wasn't supposed to beat a female student to begin with. Uh, instead of taking punitive action against the vice principal, they retroactively changed the rules and said, okay, a male administrator can beat a, a, a girl in the school. So, so now we're just talking about the, the minutia of, well, we can beat kids, right? but... Oh well, maybe the maybe the male administration can't beat the female students. Right. And I actually spent a year in Florida, uh, my eighth grade year. And they, for anyone who doesn't know, does anyone people all know what corporal punishment is, right? Like if if you get in trouble at school, you have at least when when I was in Florida, you had the option to do detention for like two weeks, or you could take a, uh, the, a, a paddling. You could take a they they would bend you over a desk and they would paddle you. Uh, based on how bad your uh, whatever um, offense was, wow. so so that that still happens. And the empirical research shows that this is not a good corrective measure. That if anything helps uh, promote behavioral dysfunction, it's it's corporal punishment. This this does nothing to to help the child in, in any way. It's not it's not a helpful tool. It's not a helpful measure. And I think what you're really coming down to is some of the fundamental culture wars of religion. Right here, when, when we get down to the very basics, and we we really hammer on these points with people, uh, m- more often than not, maybe one hundred percent of the time now, we're met with this spare the rod, spoil the child bullshit that comes down to biblical foundations, and that's used to justify it. And I feel like that being the case, this is very much in the purview of the religious war, and to to claim exemption and privilege away from that type of thing, to claim religious privilege to keep our children from being beaten in the schools. And a lot of people uh, warned me uh, before we rolled out this project, a lot of people closer to me felt that it was a real mistake to not put this letter of exemption out towards the parents and say that the parents needed to accept this. And I wouldn't accept that because I think if the parents think that they should be beaten by administrators, fuck them too. You know, it's up to the kids. The kids know Kids know they don't want to be beaten. The kids know that their body is inviolable. At what age is it inappropriate to hit somebody as a corrective? You know, I, I mean, that's that's the big question. If somebody's arguing the benefits of corporal punishment with me, what if I were to punch them in the fucking face and say, "All right, well, I'm just trying to teach you a lesson." <laughs> right, but there are people out there, and and is that how you respond to the uh, to the people out there who say, "Listen." We're we're in this horrible world of political correctness now, and you know you're going to call the cops on me if I if I discipline my child, and and they'll defend that corporal punishment as as discipline, and they're not going to learn a lesson in any other way. How do you have you ever had anybody approach you with that? No, no, I I, I don't I don't actually get very cogent arguments uh, in favor of corporal punishment, and I, I anticipated them. You know, but but for the most part, we really do get people, uh, and, and this is a lesson to us all. They they are really citing Christian privilege to beat their kids more so than I ever thought. As being a leader of a satanic organization, going against this issue, e- even doing that in the outset and putting together this campaign, I didn't think we realized how religiously embedded this idea of corporal punishment as a corrective against children actually is. And I really do feel that if people 
were to abandon their archaic ideas uh, of superstition, they would be more amenable to the recent cognitive research that shows just how harmful corporal punishment really is. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> because I didn't, I, I, anytime I've looked into something like that and, and your, your principles towards that, it, it's always, I just kind of, I think what is exactly what you said. I expected a lot of the reaction to be, I'm, you know, it's, it's discipline and that's how they're going to learn. But I'm, I'm also surprised to hear that it's more embedded in this archaic religious, like muck. There's only two arguments we get that that it's uh, that it's Christian to do that, yeah. and that it it worked for whoever you're arguing against. They'll say, "Well, my, you know, whoever used to used to beat my ass occasionally, and I needed that, so and I turned out just fine." My argument against that is you did not turn out fine. You you think it's okay to beat children? You're clearly not okay. So so your your group is is so large, and you have so many supporters. What type of people are, are you seeing supporting you? I understand a lot of um, immigrants to the country uh, can relate to what, what you're protecting, as well as you know, same-sex couples. What type of people are you hearing from supporting you? A lot of gay, a lot of transgender, a lot of sex workers, and a lot of the disaffected overall. I think our demographics have changed through time. When we first came in to the scene, I think people were used to this kind of old black metal school of Satanism. So it was uh, white males, mostly, you know, around, you know, from the teen years to about 30 years old. And then as it became clear where we stood on certain issues, we really had a shift towards a lot of females coming into the Satanic Temple. There was a time when when well over uh, well over 50% of new membership was, was female around college age. And then it didn't take long especially with things like the pink mass where uh, uh we got a lot of a lot of the LGBTQ community and and I think that's a natural fit for them anyways they're you know they're they're beat up upon by traditional religious organizations and we're obviously a place where that's not not even a question there's not even a difference it's not a matter of of toleration that that is that is itself an insulting term it's something where it's it's and nobody cares about that within the within the satanic temple at all but i think now we're really reaching a spot with the satanic temple where we're seeing a lot of a lot of people from different minority groups a lot of people of color and that type of thing who feel who have a better grasp of the of the history of the church to not feel uh, an affinity for for it in the least um and, and this has really been a haven for them. And I think in that way, especially with, with Trump being elected, uh, we're finding a real a real boom in, in a diverse population coming to the Satanic Temple and finding kind of a, a cultural identity in a home. So these are the seven tenants up here. And uh, I was reading an article the other day about you and, and the temple. And uh, the author of the article said, you know, I, I'm a Satanist and I didn't even realize it. So is that is that kind of what you find that uh, that people who aren't necessarily religious are actually Satanists and and don't call themselves that? Yeah, we also get there's there's a lot of people who see that these are very straightforward, very rational kind of humanistic values, 
and for that reason, they, they don't understand why it would be Satanism. But if you understand kind of the history of modern Satanism and the romantic literary movement and how it was building kind of a new mythological cultural backdrop for Enlightenment values, that was very Satanic. So that was, you know, you're coming from Western civilization being dominated by the Catholic Church to being a, a, a civilization that had to embrace pluralism and diversity. And, and that was very much against the kind of theocratic values, uh, the feudalistic values put forward by the church. And so to that end, enlightenment values in and of themselves kind of define satanic values. And you have to be able to not only discard superstition and say you, you are uh, – it's one thing to say you're a non-believer, but it's another thing to actually embrace blasphemy. And you'll be surprised at how many atheists – Still seem to be beholden to a kind of uh, a kind of unconscious uh, uh, superstition where these symbols and, and the names still seem to have an inherent value in their minds and can 't be amended in any way where what is satanic needs to be defined as the absolute evil and absolute cruelty, which also implies the opposite that the the Christian religion are the arbiters of what is morally true and correct. And I think that's what needs to be contested and that what's, that's what needs to be challenged. And you, you can't do that if you can't accept the notion that different symbols can mean different things to different people in different times and different places. Uh, it's, there's a certain semantic logic behind this. And it's a, I, I admit it's a, it's a major mind fuck to a lot of people but it's a very necessary one, and I think the confusion we cause is all for the better. Lucian, uh, gray faction, what, what is that? Yeah, I referenced the, uh, the pushback we have against the satanic panic from the 80s and 90s, which actually never – satanic panic never actually ended. There's still this prevalent notion of satanic cults committing crimes, and you'll see bullshit stories from the Daily Mirror and the uh, – in the sun from the UK at about a weekly basis about satanic cults pulling some kind of ritual sacrifice or murder or whatever else, or, or uh, these suspicions that satanic cults are, are guilty of all types of crimes that are taking place. And what's, uh, what's really troubling is that the, this conspiracist notion is kind of, uh, is, is kind of helped along, is kind of validated by this insane, uh, by this insane counterculture within uh, licensed mental health practitioners that still primarily focus on the idea of multiple personality disorder and the idea that certain traumas are so so traumatic that they can't be assimilated into the mind and are relegated to uh, separate compartments of the mind that then branch off into uh, separate personalities in somebody and in that they need to do things like regressive hypnosis to draw forth these personalities to allow them to assimilate into the core personality and recall the memories that brought them into existence to begin with. And what has been found time and time again by responsible research psychologists is that when people undergo this type of therapy, they tend to confabulate memories that are not at all true but often remarkably match the assumptions of the therapist who is doing the, the, the regression to begin with. And they come up with all kinds of bizarre narratives, uh, including 
the idea that they were abused by Satanists, the idea that they were abducted by aliens, the idea that they've recalled memories of past lives. And all of this, as I said, usually matches the therapist's assumptions. And this is a very discredited idea within cognitive science and research psychology. Nonetheless, organizations like the APA, the American Psychiatric Association, have failed to confront it within uh, their licensing boards and have allowed these kinds of delusional conspiracist therapists to run amok and uh, in, in really uh, instill people with crippling delusions, um, paranoid delusions that will affect the rest of their lives and, and, and weigh upon them traumas that never existed. And, um, and, and we fight back against people who are licensed to do these types of things, people who take people who are mentally vulnerable and, 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 and hurt them with this type of therapy. And we're fighting to try to get the APA to revise their standards. We're fighting against licensing boards to try to get them to revoke the licenses of people who engage in this practice. And we investigated a case not too long ago, our own original research, where we found uh, there was a case of a woman, Gigi Jordan in New York, a multimillionaire, mother who murdered her own eight-year-old autistic child. And she murdered him on the assumption that she was saving him from a life of torture by satanic cults. And prior to murdering her kid, she had consulted with a woman, Ellen Lachter, uh, a psychologist, a clinical psychologist in California, licensed, who on her own website talks about Illuminati conspiracy theories, talks about witchcraft abuse, satanic ritual abuse, all these kinds of 1980s, 1990s debunk conspiracy theories that we feel there's a very uh, uh, credible basis to say that if Gigi Jordan had consulted a non-conspiracist therapist, somebody who would have disabused her of a conspiracy theory, she might not have murdered her child. We put a petition against Ellen Lachter to have her investigated by her licensing board about a year ago. And about nine months after we put in the petition, California sent us an unsigned letter that simply said that they looked into our claims and found no merit to them. And life carries on, and, and Ellen Lachter is still is still licensed. Uh, I feel somebody like Ellen Lachter should have her license revoked simply by merit of the public statement she makes about uh, uh, conspiracy theories that are easily disproven by anybody who has any general grasp of reality. Anyways, that's, uh, that's what Gray Faction is, and that's what Gray Faction does. And it's one of the most important things that the Satanic Temple does. And it gets so little media attention because it's such a large topic, and it's not given to uh, sound bites that simply, uh, you know, a lot of the media likes to cover us when it can be summarized in the headline. And, and we do get a lot of that. Um, Gray Faction is so much more complex. And it, it really deserves a lot of attention. So if you have the time and you have the inclination, look at grayfaction.org. That's very important to us. And if you think you can be any help to it, there's contact information on that site. Great. Excellent. Um, Thank you so, very much for asking about that. Yeah, of course. I just want to ask about uh, – sort of bring up the Charlottesville um, event that happened last week and, and, and how awful it was and, uh, and how everyone – now is is the, the topic is sort of about Confederate statues and should they be removed? 
and and should they change the name of Faneuil Hall because uh, Faneuil is, is, is has a racist past. Same thing with Yawkey Way, and they're talking about changing the name of Yawkey Way. How do you feel about that, Lucian? Do, does it is it relate in any way to your work? Well, there's the question of, of government speech versus First Amendment protected uh, uh, access to a free speech zone by people who privately donate monuments or whatever else. And I think there's a real legitimate question as to whether your government should be endorsing a Confederate monument. Uh, that, that I think, is, is a legitimate question. I would hate to see this carry over into uh, the private domain. I would hate to see people... Um, burning down uh, Confederate museums or, or whatever else. I can see anybody, um, e- even of whatever political persuasion, having an interest in, in seeing those types of items and not seeing them destroyed. And in even Nazi memorabilia or whatever else, uh, having preservation for historical purposes. Who the fuck would have thought that we would have been dealing with people self-identifying as Nazis today? That's still something I... I I have a difficult time wrapping my head around, but there still is, there still are historical relics related to that time, and I think they should be preserved. But as I said, that question of of government speech and do you want uh, something in in on public grounds, uh, a Confederate memorial standing there, um, and, and then I think it, it is a legitimate question of is this what the government is endorsing as as an appropriate point of view? And then I think that's a, a legitimate question of whether it should be taken down or not, if it is antithetical to the liberal democratic values that we hold dear today. And it, But I would like to see this go forward in a nonviolent legalistic direction. I, I really have a problem with this idea that we should all run out and punch Nazis. I mean, you have a militant group of people who feel validated by getting punched in the face. You have the type of white trash, shit-headed thugs who will go out to bars looking for a fucking fight. You don't go out and punch them. It gives them a good time, you know? If if anything, I really wish everybody who would show up to counter-protest the Nazis and the KKK tomorrow, they should be met with mockery and ridicule. In an ideal setting, you would have the KKK marching and you would have the counter protesters dressed with dressed like them but with the uh with the false buck teeth and playing banjos and <laughs> and imitating sodomy with their cousins and everything else and everybody just laughing their asses off at them because nothing will make them wither away more than that if you go out and you give them the fight that they knew they were going to get and they thought they were looking for and the one that makes them feel like they're really achieving something then it's a degenerative spiral. It's a degenerative spiral of, of violence and dysfunction, and I, I fear we're kind of already irreparably on that course right now, but I hope not. No, I think, I think we've been on that course since, <laughs> since the Civil War. I mean, there's always, there's, there's always some, some cycle that keeps going with that. Some I think instead of macing them, we should glitter bomb them. I think that would offend them more than being <laughs> maced. <laughs> <laughs> Um, But if the message was, look at you fragile, pathetic little shits, I mean, they they can't, you can't just walk away from that. If you you get punched in the face and you get back up again, they're going to feel very energized. 
everybody's laughing at them as they should be. Yeah. That that is far more difficult to to recover from. And if you read Steven Pinker's book, The Better Angels of Our Nature, I feel like that's one of the best books of modern times. He was talking about the death of dueling and how dueling really died out when everybody started laughing at it. Everybody started making a mockery of it. <laughs> right. Well, right. That's that's an interesting uh, exercise. If you were to look back it. at all of these like antiquated things that, that have happened over history and when they start becoming a mockery, then yeah. they start... Yeah, dueling for out. a long time was a practice that people objected against. They, 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 they were very, people were very upset. You know, people were going out and they were getting killed in these duels. You know, based on honor or whatever else. And, and according to history, it wasn't until the younger generation just started laughing and 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 doing mock duels themselves that the the dueling practice became untenable thereafter. I think we got a question up there. We got a mic down here. If you guys want. Oh, it's okay. Uh, you, you can just yell from yeah, there. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Go for a... it. <laughs> in regards to the statues and where you are with us, where is your understanding of where you draw the line between understanding the historical importance of a statue? And for what it is, good, bad, you know, George Washington, whatever, all slave owners, nothing good about that, but still they had the traits, right? We're all a mix of light and dark, right? So where is your understanding of I think it's a question for Lucian mostly, it seems. Is it? Is it a question well, for me? I, I, really, I really think the distinction is between government and private speech. I'm still what a lot of people would consider a free speech absolutist, and I've gotten a lot of shit for that lately, um, especially when uh, they attributed anti-Milo, or Milo, whoever the fuck that guy is, uh, <laughs> protests to the Satanic Temple, and I reached out to Breitbart, and I said that wasn't us, uh, that... We, we we weren't protesting against his free speech because we don't. And a lot of people were upset, and they were saying that uh, I was defending a man who was saying certain things. I never read his material. I stand on free speech as a principle. Uh, the line I draw is between when the government is endorsing a certain type of speech as opposed to private. If somebody wants to open up a museum where they have nothing but Nazi memorabilia, I don't think we have anything to say about that. You don't have to go to it. Uh, nobody has to agree with it. Um, but what if if the Boston City Council decides that every uh, every uh, preliminary invocation is going to be given by a Nazi, I think we we would we would then have to march, and we would all have a, a real problem with that. Speaking of which, the. Uh, that's the issue, I, and I think that's that's the only legitimate issue. Uh, I think if if so, private speech, I, I want to know. I want to know when an asshole's an asshole. I don't want somebody to feel in in. If somebody's an asshole and a good person at the same time, well, sure. I mean, your your expression is I I, I stand by free expression. And I stand by free speech, and that's not to say. Even when they call me a free speech absolutist, I'm actually standing by the caveats that we do have on free speech today. There are caveats related to fighting words, which is kind of a gray area, but the courts have done fairly well on that. There's caveats related to slander. 
in, in copyright infringement and those types of things. And I, all feel, I feel that those are all completely legitimate. And those are things that should, be, that should be deliberated on and people should have legal recourse on those. I just don't feel that there needs to be further prohibitions upon free speech right now. And a lot of people feel that that is an endorsement for every type of speech that might come out of that. It just isn't. I stand by the ACLU's decision to defend even hateful speech. I, I think they're doing the right thing. They're staying viewpoint neutral. They're standing on a principle. You don't stand on a principle only when it's comfortable. It doesn't mean anything if you don't do it when it's also when it also hurts, when it also goes against your values. Uh, free speech has a very it, it's 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 the bedrock of liberal democracy, and we need to preserve that even in even in the worst of times. And this is one of those times right now. And I feel that on balance, it's for the better. It, it seems to me like like the 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 satanic thing to do in this case about the Confederate statues would be to erect a Martin Luther King Jr. statue right next to a statue. Well, something to, of something Robert to realize about the Satanic Temple is that. There, there hasn't been a time where we've been doing a, an event in the public forum where there hasn't been some religious group that has claimed that what we're doing is hate speech against them. And, and they, they say that even though we might not be calling for violence against them, even though we might not be stating these things directly, our very identification as Satanists causes acrimony and puts them in, in, a, in a position of hostility against them that, that, that's making a mockery of them and that in that what we're doing should be shut down on those grounds as hate speech. And, and I see that as a very slippery slope. If you're going to say that I'm offended, I might not be directly threatened or directly slandered, but, but I'm offended, and therefore this free speech needs to be shut down, I think that's very dangerous territory to dip into, and it will bite us all in the ass eventually. And ultimately, whoever benefits is whoever's whoever already has the power and control to be the arbiter of what is determined to fall within those parameters of, of so-called hate speech or not. One last question I had for you, and that coming from that point, is like so, so many people would believe in a lot of the things you're saying, but may, but when they first hear the satanic temple, they're turned off. Have you, have you ever, like, why would you choose to have the name Satan behind you know what you're doing where you could just come up with some you know generic less offensive name to the average person and they may support you but we couldn't because it also means something to us it's not something we could sit and deliberate and say well we're going to make up a different deity because we grew up in the judeo-christian culture and to us satan is the icon of rebellion against these kinds of norms this kind of uh mythic backdrop that says that there's one right way to live your life, and this is what it is. The the uh, the, the backdrop that says uh, there's there's an ultimate power that's offended by y your your sexuality or or whatever else. Um, to us, since we were growing up, what we've embraced has been Satan, and to call it something else would be untrue to ourselves. Well, thank you very much, everybody, for yeah, joining us you. here tonight. I just...
That's a one, one, one quick question for uh, Lucy, and I know that Tim was per- per- particularly terrified uh, to to be here this evening. I just want you to just assure him that you did not steal his soul during this. No, I'm gonna kill him. Oh. <laughs> When a person goes missing, their loved ones often find themselves overcome with worry and grief. Bruce Maitland started the 501c3 nonprofit organization Private Investigations for the Missing because he knows this feeling all too well. When Bruce's daughter Brianna disappeared in March 2004, he was surrounded by licensed private investigators dedicated to finding her. Now his mission is to provide dedicated private investigators at no cost to other families of the missing, desperate for answers but without the financial means. Private Investigations for the Missing needs your help. To read the mission statement, make a donation, and keep up with our blog, visit us at investigationsforthemissing.org and follow us at PI for the Missing on Twitter and Facebook and Investigations for the Missing on Instagram. Because forever is too long to wait.